welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. It is a real privilege to introduce our speaker to you this morning. Brady Boyd is the lead pastor, the senior pastor of New Life Church in Colorado. Many of you will know um, Daniel Grothy and Glenn Packy, and both who are sort of firm favourites uh, here when they come and visit. Well, Brady is their boss, so we've got, we've, got, we've got their boss here today, and it is amazing, uh, Brady, to have you with us. Um, Brady uh, leads one of the largest and most significant churches in North America. He normally speaks to thousands, really, and so it's amazing that he's agreed to come and speak to, speak to us, to be with us this morning. He could have been anywhere in the world talking to any number of people, but he's here with us, so it's amazing. He's married to Pam. They have uh, two uh, children, a son and a daughter, and we are really looking forward to hearing everything you have to say to us. So let's give him a warm welcome as he comes to speak to us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning. I am so it's grateful to be here. Pastor Pete is a, a huge influence to us. I don't know if you know that, but we love the wild Pastor Pete coming to America. He's always uh, fun, joyful. I've known him uh, 12 years. Uh, he uh, he has influenced us with prayer like he has people around the world. So to be here at his church with his congregation with the people that he loves is a joy for me. So I don't, I'm not sure I could be anywhere in the world, but I choose to be here today with you because I love this church from a distance. This is my first time to be here, uh, so I'm grateful. And, and by the way, uh, I don't know if you know this, but by listening to me, I'm British. Did you know this, right? So I was in a restaurant in Manchester this weekend, and I was ordering my food, and the waitress looked at me really strange. She said, you're not British. And I said, actually, I am British, because I just did the ancestry test, and it came back. I'm like 80% from England and Wales, and I'm like 12% from Ireland, so I have a little naughty in me, I guess, you know. And, and, and there's some things that are unknown about my past, but I'm basically British. And so I said, so I'm, I'm back here with my people, so it's good to be back with you, right? So I hope, you, hope I, uh, I won't try a British accent, uh, but you'll hear the southern United States come out in me. And so I'll try to speak slowly so my drawl doesn't wear you out, okay? So <laughs> it is great to be here. I was uh, in Manchester speaking to some leaders over the week, uh, and, uh, and then I was over at your uh, campus in Woking. Is that how you say it, Woking? This morning, beautiful group of people. The building over there is beautiful. Uh, I, I think I did very minimal damage there this morning, but I am, I am warmed up now for you. So uh, I'm excited. So are you okay to open the Bible? Do y'all read the Bible here? Do y'all like your Bible here, okay? So I'm going to share a topic today that I have spent my entire life trying to understand and try to embrace. I, I, as uh, the pastor said, I have two children. I have a 20-year-old. Both of my kids were adopted. So my 20-year-old is Italian. Uh, he is really handsome and really smart and very available. So I just want to make that known to some of you. Uh, and super godly. My son is this romantic. Whoever marries my son will be spoiled beyond their wildest imaginations. They will get notes. They will get roses and flowers. He is, this, he is a total romantic. He, he uh, uh, just this handsome, smart little guy uh, who's 20 years old and at university now. My daughter is 18 years old, and she's not available, by the way. I just want you to know that. Uh, she... <laughs> 
I'm very protective of her. She is just super smart, and she's heads off to university uh, this August, so my wife and I are about to be empty nesters. It is amazing. It's awesome. I can't wait uh, for my children to leave. Because I know they're going to come back. They're going to come back often because we make it easy on them. But from the time they were babies, when we adopted them, from the time they were little, we have made it our passion, uh, our primary purpose as parents, to teach our children how to hear the voice of God. And so I want to speak to you today about hearing God. Do you think that's possible? Say amen if you think it's, it, it may be at least possible, right? All right, so this story we're going to read today is actually about a young boy who's probably seven or eight years old. His name is Samuel. Samuel, who had a mom named Hannah. Hannah made this vow to God. She said, God, if you will give me a baby, I'll drop him off at the church and let them raise him. I mean, that's basically what she said. So I want you to know today that we're not taking children today, okay? If you brought a child, take that child home today, okay? So this is, but times were different then. So Hannah makes this vow to God that if, if you will grant me a child, I will dedicate that child to the Lord. And sure enough, she gets pregnant. It's a miracle. And the child ends up at the church in the holy place of worship. So Samuel's around six, seven, eight years old. We're not sure how old he is, but he's, he's young enough to be there alone. He's young enough to hear God's voice. And I want to I encourage you today, uh, seriously, if you're here today and you're wrestling with this idea, would you open up your heart right now to the idea that God knows you, that God wants to speak to you, that God cares deeply about what's happening in your life, that you're not a forgotten person in a crowd of people today, that you are precious to God, that you are dear to God, that you are someone that God wants to communicate with. Do you believe that this morning? Can we just pray right now and ask the Lord to just open up our hearts to this idea? Father in heaven, we are grateful for these continuously articulate scriptures that we're about to read. We are grateful this morning that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword that is able to discern the thoughts, the ideas, the motives of humankind. And Lord, we ask today that you would do that holy, sacred work. As we read these scriptures, as we talk about these scriptures, would you do deep and sacred and holy work in us as we hear these words. Lord, would you open up our ears today, give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Would you give us holy imagination today? And we ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. All right, let's, now I'm going to read a lot, okay? So you okay with reading a lot of the Bible at church? Because so, I want you to hear the story. So it's about 10 verses, so stay with me in this story, okay? First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Eli's the priest. Eli's not related to him. He's not a relative, but Eli's the priest of Israel. And in those days, underline this, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. And one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place, and the lamp of God had not, young, had not yet gone out, and Samuel, listen to, listen to where his bed was, okay? I want you to think about this just for a moment. This is where he spent the night. It says, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So the most sacred place in all of Israel, the place, the, the, the symbol of God's presence, the incarnation of God's presence is right there. This is where his bed was near the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God's holy presence would come and dwell with the people of Israel. So he would go down to bed every night and sleep there. And he has his space there. And it says, verse four, and then the Lord called Samuel. So God speaks to Samuel as a little boy. And he says, 
And Samuel answered him saying, here I am. So he ran to Eli. He doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know who's speaking to him. And he runs and wakes up the older guy. Now, all the parents in the room, okay? How many, how many of you have young children? How many babies that are under 10 years old? Okay, children, raise your hand. Because I can see the sleepy look on your face. I can almost point you out. I know who you are. And so I, I have an 18 and a 20-year-old. I want to give you some good news, okay? Just some really good news. Soon and very soon, your children will enter into puberty and to teenagers. And they will sleep till like 10, 11, or lunchtime. It is one of the most glorious transitions of parents. <laughs> Come on, all the parents in the room. When your kids start sleeping past 6 a.m., when, when you have to wake them up, it is a beautiful time of parenting. So I just want to encourage all the young parents in the room that this season will pass. Amen. Right? All right, keep going. I got distracted. All right. <clears throat> so Samuel, uh, verse 6, again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. And my son, Eli, said, said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. I want you to stop just for a pause, just for a moment. Think about where Samuel is being raised. He's been raised in church, yet he did not know the Lord. And it's possible to come to church, to live in holy places and not know the God of that holy place. And I want to encourage you, moms and dads, that bringing your children to church and putting them in spiritual environments is super critical. Don't ever stop doing that. But don't think just by bringing them to church that somehow they're going to know God. They have to know God on their own. They have to make a choice to know God. And God, by his power and revelation, has to reveal himself to all of us as children. So Samuel's living next to the Ark of the Covenant and still doesn't know the God of the Ark of the Covenant. But, but it gets better, okay? It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel a third time. Notice how persistent God is. And this should, this should really encourage you, okay? I want, I, and I feel like I need to pause here and just say this to somebody in the room. God will go to extravagant lengths to communicate with you. God is not easy to give up. He's not going to quit easily on you. I want you to notice that in this story, God keeps coming to Samuel over and over and over again. God is relentless and persistent in his pursuit of humankind. God wants to connect with us more than we can imagine, more than we know, more than we probably believe. God is in relentless pursuit of your soul. He is in relentless pursuit of a relationship with every one of us in the room. And so for a third time, God calls to him. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am for the third time. You've called me. And then Eli has a moment of spiritual clarity. And he says, well, uh, here I am. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And so Eli tells Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's what he tells uh, Samuel to say. So Samuel went and he lay down in his place and the Lord came and stood there. Now I want you to notice the progression. Up until this point, God has just spoken to Samuel. God has spoken. He's hearing something. He's perceiving something. But now God comes near to him with his presence. He, he physically comes near to him. So God not only wants to speak to us, God wants to come near to us. God wants to walk alongside us. God wants to not just every once in a while give us a passing thought. God actually wants to walk side by side with us. And so God says, he came and stood there 
calling at the other times. And then he says Samuel's name twice. Samuel, Samuel. And he said, speak, for your servant is listening. Now, I don't know where you come from, from traditional religious tradition. This may be your first time in church in a long time. Or you may have come from religious traditions that teach that God is mute, that God is silent, that God does not speak to humankind, that we are way below him, he's way above us, and is beneath his character and dignity to speak to the people he created. But I want to, tell you, I want to clear up a misunderstanding. I believe my, my, uh, one of the men in my life who influenced me greatly, a man that I spent time with at his home, uh, I was in, in lots of time with him in other settings, but my friend Eugene Peterson says that, that God speaks is the basic reality of biblical faith. In other words, one of, the, one of the core beliefs that we have as Christ followers is that God is a speaking God and that we are a hearing, listening people, that we're a people that can hear his voice. In fact, on the very first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, where your grandmother signed it, table of contents, the maps, Genesis 1, says that God creates the world by speaking. Let there be light. Let there be heavens. Let there be earth. Let there be animals. The stars in the sky God speaks out loud. There's a speaking voice. And when he speaks, things would happen. Speak. He was speaking. And then you go to the very last page of your Bible, Revelation chapter 22. The last thing we see on the last page of our Bible is a speaking God. God says, God reminds us, I'm coming soon. So God says, I've created everything. You made a mess of it. I sent Jesus to straighten it up, and I'm coming back to make it fully redeemed. That's the Bible. I just gave you the whole Bible right there. That's it. I can save you a lot of work now. This is, I created it. You made a mess of it. I redeemed it through Christ, and I'm coming back to make all things new. But the beginning of our Bible and the end of our Bible is a speaking God, and everything in between is God speaking to us, God trying to get our attention. So I want you to write one thing down, okay? Write this down. I'm going to give you some lunchtime conversation today. I believe this. Without, you cannot talk me out of this. I believe this with absolute sincerity. We can hear God when he speaks. I know it sounds super simple. It's going to get more complex in a moment. But I want us to start with that belief that we can hear God when he speaks to us. Okay, let me show you this. I'm going to show you a few things in this story of Samuel this morning for you to consider and think about. Number one, the first thing that is talked about in this story in verse one is that the word of the Lord is sometimes rare. It says that in verse one, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Now, let's just stop here just for a moment, because a lot of people are misunderstand this, this passage of scripture. There, there are two components in hearing God. There's first component is that God is speaking. The second component is that we're listening. So it's not clear in this story if God had stopped speaking or if Eli and his sons and the nation of Israel had stopped listening. And it's possible that God was indeed speaking to the people of Israel, but because of their corruption, if you know the story of Eli and his sons, it was corrupt. The church was corrupt. The nation had turned away from God. So it, it, it might be that God was indeed speaking, but the people had stopped listening. But what happens, though, in your life, okay, my life, your life, let me ask you a question. What do we do when God seems silent? What happens, you may be walking to that season of time right now. My son, who's 20 years old, he's making a lot of decisions right now about jobs and career and classes and almost every night. In fact, when I get home on Monday night, 
will probably go sit outside and he will say to me, Dad, I gotta, I'm thinking about this. And he's, he's asking me how to hear God's voice. And he's going through seasons of time right now where he has said to me, Dad, I'm trying to hear God's voice, but God seems silent to me. Some of you may be 18, 19, 25, 30 years old, whatever your age is, and God may seem silent to you. So what do you do? So I ask him, here's what I've said to Abram. What was the last thing God told us to do? Here's some questions to consider. So when my son asked me these questions, I said, what was the last thing God told us to do? Do that, Abram, I said to him, do that until you hear something else. Now, the reason I know this to be true is because several years ago when I took over New Life Church, uh, the church was a mess. You can Google it and find out. It was a mess. I mean, we were going through corruption. Our, our founding senior pastor had gone through an epic moral failure. The church was a mess. I became the pastor, so I'm the second pastor in the 34-year history of the church. And 100 days after I became pastor, we had a gunman come into our building, killed people, uh, wounded others. It was violence. It was awful. It was, it was terrible. It was on the front page of all your newspapers the next day. It was worldwide news. And, and so our church in 13 months went through scandals and violence, uh, something that we should not have recovered from, something that should have closed our doors forever. Yet somehow, miraculously, God has shown his favor on us and blessed us in spite of all those things. So it was in that time, in that moment, where I could not hear God's voice. And sometimes trauma has that effect on us. We go through a dark valley, you go through a dark season of the soul, and suddenly to compound the problem, God seems silent. And so one morning I'm in my office and I'm praying, I'm asking God to speak, and I'm opening up the book of James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, right? And listen to what verse 22 says, okay? James 1, verse 22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word, but, uh, and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. What a novel idea, just to do what the Bible says, right? So I'm listening to that, and I said, Father, I'm so sorry, you're right. I just want to do what the Bible says, or because I'm having this conversation with God, and I'm reading, okay? How many of you are trying to, have ever done this? You're trying to do your, you know, do your duty and read the, the various passages of Scripture, but there was one passage of Scripture that jumps off the page at you, and then you kind of ignore the rest of the things that you're reading because you're still trying to hear God with the other passage. Okay, that may be complicated, but this is what was happening to me. All right, I get down to verse 27. God says, do what the Bible says, Brady. And verse 27 pops off the page. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after the orphans and the widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And in that moment, I realized 25 years earlier, that I was sitting with my pastor on King's Highway at a little cafe in Shreveport, Louisiana on a Saturday morning, and my pastor had written out on a napkin, James 1.27, and he wrote down a couple of thoughts that the Lord had given him for me, and he slid that napkin, that cheap napkin across the table to me, and he looked at me and said, Brady, your life is forever going to be marked by James 1.27. That was 25 years earlier, 23 years earlier. I still have that napkin in my Bible. I still have it. All these years later, I still have the word of the Lord that was given to me by my pastor when I was a very young man. And I remembered in my office that the Lord had already spoken to me. So when God seems silent to you, maybe it's not God uh, giving us new revelation. He's waiting for fresh obedience from us. 
And a lot of us are crying out, God, give us fresh revelation. Give us new revelation. And actually, I think what God's asking for us is for us to be obedient to what he's already said. Think about the moms and dads that are How many times this week have you told your kids to pick up their clothes from their, their, their floor, right? Or to take out the trash, take out the rubbish, take out. You tell our kids over and over the same thing. I have repeated that a thousand times at my house. Lock the door, take the pets out, pick up your clothes. It's just complete every day. And I know as a parent, I get frustrated with telling my kids the same thing over and over. Can you imagine God speaking to us over and over and over again, telling us things to do? And we have not yet done them. And we ask for something fresh and new. And the Lord says, no, be obedient to the things that I've already told you. And I'm just here to remind you this morning that God has spoken to you. When, you, when God seems silent, go back to the last thing he told you to do and make sure you've been faithful with that thing. And I promise you that in 10 years, you will find yourself in the middle of God's will. On that morning that I heard this word, I made a decision I was going to get busy taking care of the poor in my city and not quit, quit uh, wallowing in self-pity about what was happening at the church and just get busy. And so we, we bought an apartment complex and moved in all these single moms that were living on the streets of our city. And that is completely full today with a waiting list of moms. We, in fact, we just, as I'm speaking today, we're building our third one, our third building right now. And we're building more buildings. And, we're, and God somehow miraculously is paying cash for all of that. And we have no debt. And moms keep coming. Babies keep coming. People keep coming. And listen, until the Lord tells me to do something else, I'm going to get busy doing the thing that God has already told me to do. And I suspect when I see you again, I will say to you, I am right in the middle of God's will. I am finding myself stumbling into the middle of God's will. All right, here's the second thing about this story. Write this down, please. Second thing is that the word of the Lord is always personal. I want you to notice that in this story, in verse 4, that the Lord called Samuel. Do you know that God knows your name? I, I think this is revelation to people, that God knows who you are. The Bible says that while we're in the womb of our mother, that while we're in the womb, God knits us together, that God grants us spiritual gifts, that God is <clears throat> present with us even before we arrive on the planet Earth, we're in the womb of our mother. And God called him by name. God didn't come and say, hey, boy in the church, hey, blob of humanity, he said, Samuel, God knows you. God knows your name. God knows you personally. You are important to God. That's why he speaks to you. That's why he remembers your name. Yeah, I can always tell when I'm important to someone because they remember my name. They call me, look me in the eye. They, they remember my story. They remember my name. You feel important when people remember your name. They call you by name. God shows us how important we are by remembering our name and knowing who we are. Here's the third thing. The third thing is so powerful to me because it's important. The word of the Lord is revealed. Verse 7 says the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Well, how does that happen? I think it's the work of the Holy Spirit. I think the only way we hear God's voice is when we embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So when I was, uh, I, I, a couple of years ago, I'm 52 today, but a couple of years ago, not to be a math genius, but two years ago I turned 50, so do the math, right? So 50 years, so I remember the morning, I'm in my bed, I wake up and I realize I'm 50 years old. 
Now, I know I don't look that old. Thank you for saying that. I can, I can feel, I can see the surprise on all your faces that, I, that I'm 52 years old. And I appreciate that. It's good living, right? But I'm, so if I'm 50 years old. I'm in my bed. I wake up. I realize I'm probably halfway to heaven, right? I mean, I'm, I don't know if I got another 50 years in me. I doubt it. The way I live, I probably not. So I, I realize that I'm at a critical place in my life. And I'm laying there early in the morning with my eyes open. The house is quiet. And the Lord asked me a question that I, I will never forget. He said, Brady, what do you want from me? And I'm thinking about the last half of my life. I'm thinking about the season I'm about to enter into. My kids are leaving. I'm becoming this older man now. And the Lord says to me, what do you want from me? And I pause because when, you, when God asks you those kinds of questions, I think it's important not to uh, answer quickly. And here's what I said to the Lord. I don't want to live a single day of my life without the Holy Spirit being present with me. I, I, want, I want every day that I have left on the earth to be filled with the Holy Spirit in my life. I can't imagine getting to the end of my life without the Holy Spirit. I want, I want to be as hungry for the Holy Spirit now as I was in my 20s when I first met God, when I first met the Holy Spirit. And I remembered in that moment, on that morning, I'm going to teach you this morning a three-word prayer that has changed my life and has changed the life of my church. So for 16, 1,700 years, the church has prayed this three-word prayer. I want you to write it down. It's easy to remember. And it, it, it says, come, Holy Spirit. That morning, I, I, I sat in my room and I said, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And the church has been praying this prayer for a long, long time. It's found in really ancient texts. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, don't, before you get into a theological argument with me, a people, when I first taught this to my church, this guy walked up to me and said, hey, I don't believe that. I think the Holy Spirit's always with us, and, you, and he hasn't run off from us. He hasn't abandoned us. I agree. totally agree with that. I believe the Holy Spirit is present with us and always near to us. Let me tell you this story. I'm a heart patient, so I've had, since I was born, I've had these complicated heart issues, and through a series of miracles, I'll tell you that some other time, but through a series of miracles and, and doctors and God and all those other things, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm alive today, in case it wasn't obvious, but I'm doing well. And, uh, and, but I've had these complicated heart issues that I've had to manage all of my life. So a few years ago, I, I had some serious issues uh, surface in my heart. And so I, I was able to get in front of, make an appointment with the, the best cardiologist in the western part of the United States. And this guy's brilliant. And it, it took forever for me to get an appointment. And I remember I walked into his office, I sat down, he walks in, and his first question to me was, well, tell me what kind of work you do. Because he was worried about my stress. And I said, well, I'm the pastor. And he goes, oh, you're a pastor. And so he starts telling me his story of how he just came back to Christ and how he had all these questions for me. And he's asking me like question after question after question. And I realized my time is running out with him. And I didn't come there to talk about Jesus. I came there to talk about my heart. <laughs> Or I would meet Jesus sooner than I wanted to. <laughs> and I, so I said to him, I said, sir, hey, a doc. I said, doctor, I'm happy to have a lunch with you. I'm happy to talk for hours about Jesus, but in this time right now, I need you to tell me about my heart. He goes, oh, yeah, 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 we'll have plenty of time for that. I said, no, we won't. You're going to go to the next patient. I need you to talk to me. See, what I realized was we can treat the Holy Spirit like this. He's right there with us, but we're not asking the right questions. He's right here next to us, and we're not asking him for his help. 
And this is what happens for us. We wake up morning after morning, day after day, and days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and months turn into years, and the Holy Spirit has walked with us every second of those days. But unless we stop and ask him to help us, we can have the Lord, the giver of life, walking next to us and yet live a life without his power and his presence in our lives. See, the, the prayer, come Holy Spirit, is not begging God to come near to me. It's reminding me of how much I need him. Come Holy Spirit is a reminder to me of how desperate I am for the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit is a reminder to me that I don't want to live one second without the Holy Spirit in my life. And so for every morning, this morning when I woke up, before I came here and preached to you this morning, in my hotel room here in town, I said, come, Holy Spirit, because I don't want to speak. I don't want to do anything today without the near presence, the near power, the near person of the Holy Spirit. All right, here's the fourth thing. Uh, it, it says that the word of the Lord requires help from other people. I want you to notice in the story of Samuel that he kept hearing God's voice, but he could not discern it on his own. And oftentimes, verse 8 says, then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. Eli, Eli was the helper that he needed. Eli was the, the catalyst that Samuel needed to understand the voice of the Lord. And what I love about this church, in fact, I, I look for this. I think the signs of healthy church is when the young and the not so young are sitting together. When, when gray hair is sitting with people with lots of hair. And I, I, I think that's the sign of a healthy church. In fact, it makes me hopeful in this church that the young will hear the voice of the Lord. It says that young men dream, dream, uh, see visions and old men dream dreams. That, that there is, the Bible in Joel chapter 2 says, when I pour out my spirit upon all people, they will prophesy. And he actually mentions the young and the old in the prophecy that in the last days that the spirit's work will be made manifest by the young and the old hearing God together. Joel chapter 2, it's repeated in Acts chapter 2 that the Spirit will be poured out and the young and the old will hear God together. That collaborative thinking, collaborative relationships, the community of faith will actually make it possible to discern the voice of the Lord. So everybody in the room under 30, listen to me. You need to know people over 60 years old. You need to make them your friend. You need to ask them for your help. Get off Google and ask Grandma. That's the word of the Lord for you right there. <laughs> ask grandma before you ask Google. I'm just telling you, grandma knows a lot. Grandpa knows a lot. They can help you. And I'm telling you that when the church begins to see the power of generational transfer, when the, God, when, when the church begins to understand the power of the young and the not so young working in tandem with one another, handing off and discerning the Lord together, that's when the power of the Lord shows up in a church. And Samuel had to go to Eli. Eli had to confirm the word of the Lord to him. All right, here's the last thing. Okay, last thing, and I'll be done. Is that the, this is going to sound so obvious, all right? But it's not obvious. The word of the Lord is heard by listeners. It says in verse 10, finally, after Samuel hears the Lord, he says, Speak, for your servant is listening. You know, I think really the reason we're not hearing God's voice is we're probably not listening to God. We're not listening primarily for his voice. So let me tell you this story because this is going to reveal how old I am. Do you remember when we had, see, I, have my, I, I do have a cell phone, okay? I want you to know that. I'm, that and it's a, a fairly modern one, okay? So, uh, but when I grew up in our house, 
that we had the rotary phones. Do you remember those? Raise your hand if you remember rotary phones, right? All of you, wow, okay, are, are you just getting cell phones here? Okay, I'm just, I'm joking. All right, I'm joking. Remember, so you had to dial, and if you had a lot of eights and nines in your number, nobody wanted to dial you because it was too much work. Like you had to, it's work, really exhausting. All right, so in my house, when the phone rang, there was no caller ID. Like you didn't know who was calling. It was a great mystery. People would call your house and you didn't know. It could be your drunk aunt. It could be the government. It could be someone. But it was exciting because we didn't get many phone calls. And so when the phone rang, it was this mysterious thing. Who's calling us? There was no way to know. And so you pick up the phone and it was exciting because who is calling my house? All right, so when I was dating my wife, Pam, we've been, I've been married 30 years, but she's been my girlfriend for 33 years, okay? She's still my girlfriend and my wife. And, and, but when I, I first met Pam, there were other girls that I liked at the time. Now, I wasn't a player, I wasn't that, all right? But, but there was a, I was young, so I knew a lot of girls. But uh, Pam came into my life. Now, she's the only girl now, I just want to clarify that. But this is, so this is 33 years ago, so don't, don't, don't get any suspicions. So 33 years ago, I had just met Pam, and I liked her. But I liked a couple of other girls. But, so when the phone rang, I had five seconds to get it right. <laughs> I want you to think about the pressure. You get that wrong. If you call her by the wrong name, it's game over, right? I mean, it's over. The relationship's over. So I had five seconds to decide who is calling me. And I got it right the first few times. But you know what happened? You know what remarkable thing happened? I began to spend a lot of time with Pam. I mean, she, was, she became the only girl. And then she became exclusive, truly the only girl. And we made an agreement that I would be exclusive to her and she would be exclusive to me. Now, even without caller ID, if my phone were to ring and I were to pick it up, I would know Pam's voice without hesitation. In fact, if she were in this room right now, I could look at her, and she could give me one look, and be, I could know paragraphs. She, she's speaking <laughs> stories to me. Come on, all the married men in the room say amen to this, right? I have been well-trained by my wife. <laughs> she, she's, she looks at me, and I went, oh, okay, oh, yes, that, yeah, right, okay, right there, yes, okay, yes. Yeah. I'm answering the question. She's not even asking me anything. How did that happen? It happened because Pam became exclusive to me. And I'm telling me, I've come today to tell you that if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, he has to become exclusive to you. The reason most of us are not hearing God's voice is because we're listening to too many other sources. You have other gods. You have other girlfriends. You have other things that have taken the place of the Lord. You know, the greatest challenge for me is making sure that I primarily am listening to the voice of the Lord. I have tons of influences in my life, tons of things trying to influence me right now. And the same is true for you. We live in a world of mass communication, mass amounts of information pounding on us. Thousands of advertising images coming into our soul every day. Thousands of points of information flooding us every day. And yet we wonder why we can't hear the still, small voice of God. God doesn't yell. God speaks. Very rarely does he yell. <clears throat> when he yells, you're in trouble. <clears throat> he tends to whisper. Because he's looking for people who are leaning into him. Trusting him. 
Let me show you this passage. This is the last thing I'll read to you. John, John chapter 10 is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. It says, my sheep, my sheep, listen to my voice. They listen to me. My sheep, not another. And he goes into a great amount of explanation. If you want to go back and read John chapter 10, he actually explains this. Not the sheep of somebody else's pasture, the, the sheep of my pasture. The sheep that I have called by my name, he says that in other places. My sheep listen to my voice. See, you understand the exclusive language here that, that, that Jesus is using. My sheep listen to my voice. And listen, I love this next because it, it, it confirms what we already said about Samuel. He says, I know them. I know them. I know who you are. I know every sheep by name. And they instinctively follow me. I want to tell you something this morning. The Lord has sent me here to remind you that he knows you. You are, you are important to him and that he wants to speak to you if you will listen to him. And I think this morning some of you are at a, are at a pivotal place in your life. You are at a divine intersection. And the Lord wants to speak to you. Because you may, it's not that you're going to make the wrong turn, because God can recalibrate us. God can put us back on the right track. God can put us back into the right path. So it's not that this is a, a mortal mistake you're about to make. But the Lord wants to save you some steps today. The God wants to save you a, a few miles today. God wants to help put you in the right spot today. And so can I just pray for you? Would you just let me pray over you for just a moment? And can we start this time of prayer this morning by just praying that three-word prayer? Would you, maybe you've never asked the Holy Spirit to truly come into your life. Maybe you never personally invited the, the participation, the activity of the Holy Spirit into your life. So would you pray that three-word prayer if you feel, if you, don't, if you don't pray, that's fine. But if you would like to pray that, would you pray that with me today? Let's just pray it together. Come, Holy Spirit. Come on, around the room right now, would you just welcome the work of the Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we recognize that you are with us, that you are for us, that you are near to us. And so we ask right now around this room that I pray that this, this church, that this, this body of people will be marked by the Holy Spirit's work. That the activity and the nature, the character, the person of the Holy Spirit would be evident in everything that happens in this place. So we say, Father in heaven, send us the Holy Spirit. Now I'm asking right now around the room that you would give us holy imagination. Father, would you do sacred work in holy places right now? Or we ask that you would do sacred work holy work. Father, I pray you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, I pray that you would remind us that you know us and you care for us. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? And I pray, Lord, that there, there I know, I sense right now that there are some of you that you are laboring, you are, you're trying to do things in your own strength and with your own capacity. And the Holy Spirit's just here today to take some weight off of you. And to remind you that you're in the palm of his hand. The Holy Spirit says to you, he has come today to lead you in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. That even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that his rod and his staff will protect you. That he has come to make you lie down in green pastures. He has come today to restore your soul. The Lord is your shepherd. 
and you are the sheep of his pasture. And you will know his voice and be led by his voice. So Holy Spirit, we speak that. We believe that. We trust that today. Holy Spirit, would you come now to these dear people? Lord, would you right now be clear to us? Take away any confusion from us. Father, we say today you are exclusive to us. You are the one true God and we are your people. We choose today to follow you, to know you, to walk in your ways. And we ask it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's great to be with you guys. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. Thank you.